This is Truth and Love Ministries, where we bring people home to God by learning His truth and experiencing His unending love. Today, we're in a series all about our souls. In general, your soul is a combination of your mind, your will, and your emotions. It drives almost everything about you. Your choices, your daily attitude, your thoughts all flow from your soul. You'd be wise to learn how to keep it submitted to God. We pray this message refreshes you and speaks encouragement to whatever is going on in your life right now. Now, let's take a listen to the message. I don't necessarily myself have a battle coming to church because I kind of think, I guess I know I don't have an option, so I can't. <laughs> so that kind of eliminates the fight. You know? you know, It's not like I can say, well, I ain't going. So. But um, we, just, we finished the book of James, and this morning we're going to start on something different. We're going to... We're going to take a deep dive into the soul, into the soul. And I'm going to tell you something. Please, if you, if you miss everything else, I want you to really, really dig in today and pay attention because most of our lives are, and the title of my message is A Shallow Life. Most of our lives are shallow because we have never, ever taken on what God tells us to take on and deal with the soul. Most of the issues that you face in life and deal with on a day-to-day basis, they stem from the soul. And I'm not talking about what James Brown said. You know, he said, I got soul. (laughs) And I'm super bad. You know, I ain't talking about that kind. I'm not talking about the kind where we used to throw up the fist and soul power. But you know, all of us have something going on. And, and like I was saying this morning, it's kind of it's shaming. It's kind of shameful that we have to squeeze through a week. That we have to be glad for Friday to come. And we have to be glad when we can get a break, when the truth of the matter is, we ought to be experiencing God. We ought to be some of the happiest people, some of the most successful people, some of the most blessed people. And when I say blessed, I'm not talking just strictly money. I'm just talking about life in general. People ought to be looking at us and wondering how we make it and how we, how, why are you happy and why are you, why do you always seem and appear to be positive? But we've let the world influence us. We've let the world mold us and shape us into its form as opposed to allowing God to shape us and to be more like Jesus. That's our mission. That's our goal. And so I want to take a deep dive into the soul, and we probably do this maybe three, four, five, six, seven weeks. I don't know how long we'll go. But I want you to see some things that's going on within you. You know, it's like when I, when I, when I first, um, oh, I might need to turn it on. When I, first, uh, when I first started this, I started thinking about uh, um, when I was growing up, you know, let's go to a place where most have never been and some got there and never liked what they saw and never went back and only have come to this place and, and, and got to know it very well. But I thought about when I was growing up, we used to watch Star Trek, Space, <clears throat> The Adventure going where no man has ever gone, you know. And that's where we need to go. We need to, you know, there are a lot of books written on the body and and there's a lot of things that you can do and they got so much stuff for the body and stuff that can make us look better. You know, they got all these vitamins now, you know, that's supposed to make you, you know, these old ladies come on TV and they they walking like this when they when they come on and then when they take this vitamin, they kind of, you know, just, just kind of spring up, you know, so, you know, they got, <laughs> I don't believe it worked that way, but, uh, you know, that's what they tell us anyway. So, so we, we, they kind of spring up, you know, they come alive and they got so many things for us as physical beings. I, I see stuff that people put on their face to try to get rid of the wrinkles and, you know, that'll last for a little while and after a while life's going to take over and you're going to have to get an iron and iron them out, I believe, because they're, gonna, they're coming. They're coming. The only way they don't come is that you kick the bucket. 
You know what I'm saying? So, so you know, it's life. Yeah, it's life living. So, the place I'm talking about is your soul, the inner part of you, a place where you might find some things surprising and even unfamiliar. Because the truth of the matter is, Jeremiah said, no man knows his own heart and soul. No man knows his own soul. So there, is, there in the soul is what makes you you. That's, where, that's, that's the real you. What I see is not the real you. I see the house that you live in. And without the soul, everybody know you'd be dead, right? You'd be dead. Because the soul is your very self. And think, about, think back to the book of Genesis when, when God had formed man from the dust of the ground. He said he formed man from the dust of the ground. And I want you to see him before the next part because I want you to see him laying up on the ground, a lump of clay, lifeless. And then the Bible says, and God breathed into man the breath of life, and he became a living soul. He became a living soul. And then I want you to see that the soul is, is of infinite value. Infinite value. Look what, look what Matthew 16, 26, the second part of that verse says. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? I want you to think about that because this is, this is, this is of, of, work, of more value than all of the money that Bill Gates and, and the man that owned Tesla and Twitter and all that stuff and, and the man that owned Fox News and Donald Trump and whoever else you can come up with that's supposed to have money. Your soul, if you took everything they had, it'd be a drop in the bucket to the value of your soul. It'd be a drop in the bucket if you took... And, and, and the sad part of it is, we sell our soul for cheap pleasure, for nothing, for absolutely nothing. We give away the most valuable thing that we have for cheap treasures, for small and temporary pleasures. We give away our soul. So what is the ultimate goal of your faith? What is the ultimate goal of your faith? Peter said it this way, 1 Peter 1, 9, receiving the end of your faith, even what? The salvation of your souls. He said that's, that's, the, that's what the result of our faith should be, and that should be the salvation of our soul. Now, it's so important to know what's going on in your soul because it determines the actions of your life. If you, see, 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 here's the thing. What most folks do is they try to figure out what's going on and they try to stop it at the hands. They try to stop it at the hands. In other words, if I'm overweight, then how do I stop it? I stop eating. No, you got to deal with something in your mind. There's something going on on the inside of you that's causing you to do what you do with your hands. It may not have nothing to do, I mean, because the truth of the matter, if you don't fix the inside, you can stop the outside. You know, Oprah tried that. Oprah tried it. Oprah went on this diet, man, and she, she, she was doing good. She had lost all that weight, you know. And then one day she, one day she was, uh, they were in the kitchen cooking, and she smelled that fat back meat cooking again, and that grease in them greens, and she said, put some of that in my, in my food, please. Why? Because there was no in, inside change. No internal change. And folks can change on their own, but I'm telling you, they can change the external, but if they don't change the internal, then the external, you're going to go back to doing what you always done. So, it has been said that, that the two basic ideas about wisdom come from knowing God and knowing yourself. And you can't know one without the other. You cannot know one without the other. You cannot, if you don't know God and you were made in his image, how can you know yourself? It's just like me wanting to know who I am as a physical, natural being and not knowing my daddy. If I know my daddy, you know, it's, it's amazing. One day my daddy came over to the house and he was sitting down and he we was sitting in the room and the, the room was dark. You know, my wife have to remind me sometime now. Turn the light on. 
You know, because I sit in the room and be, be black dog. I don't need no light. So I mean, my dad would come over, and I guess he would, we were alike. So here we are sitting in the dark, and he's just sitting there talking, you know. And one day he's sitting there, he was sitting there talking, and he started telling me stuff. He started just, just, just saying stuff. And I'm grateful because when he started talking, guess what he was doing? He was describing me. I said, I said, I didn't even know he was dealing with what I'm dealing with. So how could I ever know myself except I know my daddy? And then how can you know yourself when you become born again without knowing the God that you were born from? You cannot know you, the new you. And what you'll do is you'll continue to live off of the old you, the old way. And you try to bring this over into the spirit realm and it actually creates chaos and causes all kind of trouble. So if you don't know yourself, you can't know God either because if you're away from truth, you can't be close to God. And you can't know him. You cannot know him. And know this, that your soul comes under regular, regular Regular attack. Peter again, 1 Peter 2.11. Dearly beloved, I beseech you as strangers and pilgrims, abstain from flesh, fleshly lust, which does what? It's warring against your soul. It's warring against your soul. But I want you to see what he said at the beginning. He said, now, I beseech you as what? Strangers and pilgrims. What's I mean, we're not actually from here. He's telling us you're not from here. You're passing through. And he said, now, the soul can actually come under attack and there can be war in the soul. Proverbs 4.23, it says this. It said, keep your heart, and you're going to see that heart is referencing the soul. He's saying, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it flows the issues of life. In other words, from your heart, the stuff that manifests in your life comes from your heart. And he said, now you need to be like a guard, determining what goes in and what comes out. Now here's the problem. Here's the problem. When we were, when we were, we were raised before we were saved, and guess what? We got a lot of information that's been poured into our soul that we've been trained and taught and people have said to us, we've heard and we've seen and this has formed information in our soul and guess what? It affects our life every day, every day. That's why God says in Romans chapter 12, he said, now you need to renew your mind. So from the soul springs the issues of life and now your soul can go through different stages and events in life Kind of like Hannah did. In, in, in Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 10, look what it says now. And she was in bitterness of soul. Why? Because she didn't have a child. And see, a lot of times people get bitter in their soul because of what they do not have. They look around at other people. Everybody else got child children. Everybody else got one of those. Well, I don't have one, and we become bitter. And you can learn the same thing from, the, from Job, Job chapter 7, 11. He said, now, therefore, I will, refrain, I will not refrain my mouth. I will speak in the anguish of my spirit. I will complain in the what? The bitterness of my soul. So he's telling us that the soul can take on all of these conditions. The soul can actually become bitter. It can become bitter. And then in Psalm 42, verse 5, the first part of that verse He's talking to his soul. He said, now, why art thou cast down, O my soul? And why art thou disquieted in me? He's saying, now, my soul is going through a stage of depression, fear, worry, stress, and confusion. And I'm asking it why. He's talking to his soul. Yeah. And then he, he, he goes on and say, hope thou in God, for I will yet praise him. And in Psalm 77, 2, it says, In the day of trouble I sought the Lord. My sore ran in the night and ceased not. Listen at this. My soul refused to be comforted. Mm -hmm. Imagine that. Yeah. Imagine that.
that your soul can be in a predicament to a place and a point where it refuses or you refuse to allow comfort to come into your soul. That's when people get into eternal grief and they grieve for years and years and years and years. They won't allow their souls to be comforted. And then in Mark chapter 14, verse 34, he said unto them, Jesus talking now. He said, my soul is deeply grieved and overwhelmed with sorrow. Listen, to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. He said, now, Jesus talking. My soul is deeply grieved. The soul can be grieved and overwhelmed with sorrow. Even to the point where you want to die. The soul can go through great pain, but it can also be revived. It can also be revived. Psalms 23 and 3 says what? He restoreth my soul. So he's actually telling us that the soul can be restored. Now the word restore means to be put back together better than the original. Because now if you think about it, when you, when you, when you came into this world, your soul was already messed up. David said, I was born in sin and I was shaped in iniquity. In other words, I was born a mess. I was born a mess. And so when he's talking about restoring the soul, he's actually talking about putting it back better than the original soul was. And then in Psalms 19 and 7, this is why it's so important for us to read the scripture and to study the word because he says the law of the Lord is perfect. Look what it does. Reviving the soul. You want your soul revived? It takes the word. It takes the word. James said it this way. He said, receive the word of God with meekness, which is able to do what? Save your soul. So, Matthew eleven twenty nine. Jesus was saying, come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for you... For you shall find that I'm meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest for your soul. Listen, folks, they got hotels on the highway, rest areas for you to stop. You got a bed at home to sleep in, a sofa for you to sit in, a chair for you to recline in. But there's nowhere you can go to find rest for your soul except to Jesus. Nowhere you can go. And see, we think that we can lay down and we can revive our soul with just sleep and rest. But how many folks don't went to bed with a troubled soul and woke up with one? Because the only place you can revive it is through the word. The only place you can rest it is in Jesus. So the soul can also experience joy. It can also experience joy. Psalms 103 verse 1 says this. It says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. And if you follow that verse on, if you go down to verse number two, it says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits, who forgiveth all my iniquities, who healeth all my diseases, who redeemed my life from destruction, who crowned me with his loving kindness and tender mercies, who satisfied with my mouth with, with good things so that my youth is renewed like the eagles. And he's actually telling his soul why he should bless him. And see, when you think about the soul, and we're going to get into that in just a minute, but I want you to see it in this verse. The soul has a part in it that's called memory. And what he's telling his soul is, is now if you're going to bless God, you got to remember something. You can't be short-term memory, folks. You got to remember something. You got to remember that he's forgiven all my iniquities. He healed all my diseases. He's redeemed my life from destruction. And that's why I should bless him. So now we want to get in the, in, 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 in the room and I want you to see now, remember, this is a room with a table, and it has seven chairs around it. Seven. But we're going to meet six of the members, okay? It's like a boardroom. This is, this, this is your soul. This is your soul. It's like a boardroom. And in this boardroom, in this room, there is mind. There is heart. There's will. There's conscience. 
There's memory and there's imagination. And these six members are the mainstream of all of your behavior. If you want to know why you do what you do, then it's going to come down to mind, heart, will, conscious, memory, and imagination. If you want to know why, this is why we do what we do. So they meet in secret, they hammer out the direction of your life, and, and some members, they speak more than the others, and some carry more influence than the other, and they disagree a lot, and they have battles. That's battles that go on. Anybody that's ever been on a board, you know that from time to time, they have some fights in the boardroom. And in the boardroom of your soul, the same thing takes place. The same thing happens, okay? Sometimes they make good decisions that last a lifetime, but sometimes they make decisions that last for years and they are bad decisions. The first one that comes in the room is the mind, and he's full of information, full of information. He walks into the room with a briefcase, bulging, full of information. Everything he's seen, everything he's heard, everything he's experienced, everything he's been taught, everything he's been told, he's carrying it into the boardroom. And then there's heart. And you never know how heart is going to be feeling. Sometimes heart comes in the room, he's smiling, sometimes he's frowning, sometimes he's angry, sometimes he's broken when he speaks. And then there's, a, then there's Will, when Will walks in. Will has a strong personal agenda and can be quite demanding. And oftentimes in the boardroom, Will raises his voice. Why? Because Will wants his way. He's capable of great determination, but don't always show it. Will sits behind, beside heart because they often vote together. And sometimes the two of them, they overrule mine. And then there's conscience. The other members wish that conscience had a better grip on right and wrong. So that he can give direction to the rest of the members. But oftentimes, conscience is considered to be weak. And the members don't mind because they know they can persuade him to go their way. And then there's imagination who has insight that can open up a way that forward that no one else could. Man, y'all don't know the power of imagination. You don't know the power of imagination. In the book of Genesis, the Bible says this. It says when God came down and the people were one and they were all one and they had determined that they were going to build a tower, a tower to heaven. And God said, because the people are one, Genesis chapter 11, I think it's verse 6 or 9, he said, because the people are one, he said, there's nothing that shall be restrained from them, them which they have imagined to do. And let me say this to you. There's nothing that you do that you haven't imagined first. Absolutely nothing. So he lacks focus. Uh, um, Imagination, he lacks focus, and he get consumed with trivial stuff, and, and conscience has to tell him, man, you way out of line. You way out of line. Okay? So, and then there's old memory. He has a tendency to live in the past. He goes on about things that you faced in the past, but sometimes memory can lead you into great worship. Sometimes memory can lead you into great worship. Why? Because as he remembers and tells the other parts of the soul about the goodness and the faithfulness of God, they all break out into worship. So memory can be a good thing. And all of these are present in your soul and they have potential for good or for evil. They all had a potential for good and evil. And together, they're going to determine the direction and the attitude of your life. And the question I want to pose to you today is, how is your soul? How is your soul? Sometimes your soul can be divided. It can be in a battle. 
And I want you to understand what it says, what it was talking about when it can be in the battle. Because in the book of James, he said, God said, a double-minded man shall be unstable in all of his ways. In other words, he has two souls. He's divided on what, in what direction to take, what way he wants to go. One day he's up, next day he's down. He said, like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed of the wind. One day the wave is up, the next wave, the wave is down. One day the wave is going forward, the next day is going back. It can, be, it can be divided. It can be battles. And guess what? Sometimes the will and mind and conscience, they all want to go a different way. They all want to do something different. And all this is going on on the inside of you. All of this is happening in you. And there can be a time when your soul is embittered and memory won't speak to mind. Memory say, I'm not talking to you today. I'm not talking to you today. And neither one of them will listen to conscience. And will says the heart. Will says I want. Heart says I feel. And they refuse to listen to each other. And so we're going to be asking the Holy Spirit to shine light in these uncovered corners and areas of our soul. And so we help it to help us to get to know the members of our soul and help us determine what we can do about what we find. Now there are things that we put in the place of God. Things that we put in the place of God. And in Psalm 115, it tells us what happens when we do. Now, if you miss everything I said up to this point, please pay attention now. Psalms 115, watch this. Psalms 115, 4 through 8 says this. If you put something in God's place, this is what happens. He said, now, their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. They have mouths, but what? They can't speak. They have eyes, but what? They can't see. They have ears and what? They have noses, but what? So y'all thought that came with COVID, didn't you? <laughs> this, 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 this in the book of Psalms. They had noses and couldn't smell nothing. Yeah, it didn't come with COVID. It's been here. Now, 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 look, keep looking now. Keep looking. It says they have hands, but they handle or feel not. They have Feet, but they walk not. And here's the, here's the punchline. They that make them are like unto them. And so is everyone that trusteth in them. Now, what is he saying? When you make an idol in your heart, you become like the idol. You can't see. You can't hear. You can't feel, you can't walk, you can't talk, you can't smell, you can't taste, you can't do anything. You become whatever is on the throne of your heart. That's what, that's what you become. You become like it. If you put anything in the place of God in your life, this is what happens to you. You lose your capacity of spiritual healing, hearing, seeing, smelling, Taste. You lose your ability to walk in God's ways and the ability to taste and to savor that the Lord is good. Yeah, you'll lose all of that. You'll lose it. If we put anything in the place of God, the long-term effect is a shrinking capacity of our soul. And from that we live shallow and empty, unfulfilled dissatisfied lives. So, what are you living for? Your career? Approval? Acceptance? Success? Pleasure? Paul said, for me to live, and I left that blank because you need to fill in that blank. How would you finish in that sentence? Paul said, for me to live. The point is, if you put anything in that blank other than Christ, the result is a shrinking soul. Those who trust in idols become like them and partake 
of the same qualities. In other words, what you worship, you become. What you worship, you become. So, they can't see, they can't hear, they can't feel. Anything on the, in the place of God shrivels up the soul. And if you want to be all that you want to be, all that you can be, you got to let God be God. Whoo! It is so quiet in this place. My goodness. Now, Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 27 through 29, I want you to know the story that God is actually talking to Moses and he's talking to him about a future generation. He's telling them what's going to happen if they follow and worship idol gods. Deuteronomy chapter 4, 27 through 29, he said, And the Lord shall scatter you among the nations, and you shall be left few in number among the heathen, whither the Lord shall lead you. And there ye shall serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood, stone, which neither see, nor hear, nor eat, nor smell. He said, but if from thence thou shalt seek the Lord thy God, thou shalt find him if thou shalt seek him with all thine heart and with all your, that word is again, soul. So, God is warning them about worshiping a God of stone. Now, I want you to understand, he's talking to a future generation. He's telling them what's going to happen if they worship idols. It hadn't taken place yet. So when you get to Jeremiah, he's telling them what happens. This is what happens. This is almost 800 years later. This is what happens. He said, now, O Lord, are not thine eyes upon the truth. Listen at this. Listen at this. He said, now, you have stricken them, but they have not grieved. Why? Why? Because they cannot feel. Mm, that's good. They cannot feel. That's good. Thou hast consumed them, but they have refused to receive correction. Why? Because they cannot hear. And they cannot see. They have become like whatever they choose to worship. He said they have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to return. In other words, they refuse to repent. So if you want to know why folks hear stuff and they keep going the way they're going, this is what's happening. This is what's going on. Whatever you worship, you actually become like it. Those who make them, those who trust them will be what? Like them. And God warned them, eight, and, and warned them and 800 years later after God spoke to them in a powerful way, they couldn't hear him and they were unresponsive to him. They couldn't hear him. Ezekiel, speaking to the same people, gives them hope when he says what? God will take out that heart of stone and he will put into you a heart of flesh. He gives them hope. So do you see the principle? When you disobey the principle of God, you put something else in the place of God, this is what happens to you. You injure your own self. You shrink your, the capacity of your own soul and you live a shallow, empty life. It petrifies the soul. It freezes it. It makes it hard. It gives You lose the ability to love and to feel love. And I'm not talking about this loving God. I'm talking about people. Everybody, anybody, those who make them, they do what? Become like them. You lose the ability to feel joy. You want it. You remember when you had it. That's when memory becomes the enemy to you. Because now I remember what I had, but now I cannot obtain it again. What you once tasted is beyond your reach. That's what sin does to us. 
And it could be the problem in some of our relationships because we've lost capacity. Folks do not have the ability to love. Think about it now. When you get to the place where you like that, if you're worshiping an idol, and, and I know everybody, when you think idol, you think something carved, you think something, something made, something formed, but we worship idols every day, all day. We lose capacity. It affects relationships. People wonder why they cannot love. They cannot feel love. They cannot experience it. It blocks the mind where you no longer think clearly. You make crazy decisions. It saps the will where you sit somewhere and you feel like you can't do nothing about it. I'm helpless. I'm hopeless to do anything about it. It sears the conscience. So to the point where you sit somewhere and you don't know right from wrong, everything becomes gray. And it distorts the memory. That's why Jesus said the enemy has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And that's what sin does over a period of time. It shrinks your, 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 your capacity to worship. So we come and sit and we feel and we do absolutely nothing. They become like what they worship. Greed strangles the ability to show compassion. Lust eats away and destroys destroy your ability to love. Anger makes it hard for you to do the will of God. All of these things destroy. So what hope is there for a shriveled soul? What Ezekiel said. I will take out your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. Understand this. Jesus understands because he had a human soul. He had a mind that he had to learn the Bible. He had to learn it. Yeah. A heart that was moved with compassion. He had a will that was submitted to the will of God. When he was in the, in the, in the Garden of Gethsemane and he looked at that thing and he said, Lord, let this cup pass from me. But he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thy will be done. And he had a conscience. Listen, folks. He had a conscience that was proactive. Our conscience is reactive. In other words, our conscience convicts us after we've done something. When the conscience is working like it's supposed to work, guess what? It warns you before you do something. See, Jesus saw they was getting ready to make him a king, and therefore he said he, he, he walked away because he knew this is going to be trouble. His conscience was working proactive. God, give us a conscience that works proactive. And his imagination in, in his parables, taking the things of heaven and bringing them down to the earth. What an imagination. What an imagination. And then think of his memory, how he could draw a line and he could forgive all manner of wrong and evil and things that were done to him, including his enemies. His memory was working for him. And now I want you to just imagine that his spirit could enter into your soul. That's the blessing of the gospel. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Now, remember that the room had seven chairs. We only met six. Imagine the Holy Spirit of God coming into your soul and he sits in that vacant chair and begins to set things in order. And the only thing that I can see that, that, that can give me a clear view of that is, is when Genesis chapter one said, and God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was dark and void and without form, and water covered the face of the deep, and the Holy Spirit hovered over the waters. Look folks, this is what was happening. This is what's happening in your soul. See, it's dark, it's void, it's empty. It's covered. And the Holy Spirit is going to come in. And when he hears God speak, he's going to set everything in order. He's going to say, let there be light. And light's going to come into your soul. He's going to set things straight. He says, now life is going to move in another direction. Jesus, the Holy Spirit is talking. He said, mind, you're going to have to be renewed. 
heart, you're going to have to get open and change. You're going to have to be healed from that brokenness. He said, Will, you're going to need to be redirected. Conscience, you need to be re-educated. Re Imagination, you're going to have to get your focus. And memory, you need to be trained. And he said, now this life is getting ready to take on a whole new direction because it's under new management. Let God be God. And Jesus will begin to give you life to the full. It says, for where the spirit of the Lord is, there is what? Freedom. And then we will, we will be changed into his image. You want to know why folk don't look like Jesus? Because the soul is all jacked up. The soul is all jacked up. And why God won't just step in and fix it? Because the will is there. And if he comes in and, and takes over, he's taking over your will. You no longer have the freedom of choice. He's demanding and dictating and directing himself. So he wants to be inviting me, invited in. He wants you to willingly yield to him and allow him to set your life in order. You've got to come to the place where you tell your will, there's another will in here now. There's another voice. There's another person in charge. There's the person that's sitting in the seventh chair and he's seated at the head of the table. And it's our responsibility, it's our obligation as Christians to yield to the person of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> it's our responsibility. It's our responsibility to invite him in. It's our responsibility to give him freedom. Not all of us say, Jesus, come into my heart, be my Lord and be my Savior. But then right after that, we take over. What areas of your life do you own? 99.9% .9 of them, I bet you. And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to tell you something. I'm, I'm, I'm just going to be honest with you and tell you the truth. This is not an easy task, folks. It's not an easy task. And I'm going to tell you why it's not an easy task. Because you've been doing what you've been doing all of your known life. And now when a new, it's just like when we got a new plant manager. He walked in the office, he walked in the building, and he looked around. He said, I'll give y'all one week to get this place cleaned up. Been dirty for five years. That ain't an easy task. He said, that's the low-hanging fruit. And he comes in with new ideas, and he comes in with new ways and new stuff he want to implement and put in place. And guess what? All of us are what? Resistant to change. And that's what's happening in your soul. See, when the Holy Spirit comes in, he's going to say, well, we're going to have to do this different now. And you're going to say, been doing it that way for 25 years. Don't want to hear it. Don't want to change it. I'm telling you, I went through the fight of my life this week, and now I understand why. I understand why I was tired. I understand why I was beat down and why I was wore out. Because guess what? These arms are not long enough to fight with God. Not long enough. Not strong enough. Can't fight with him. It took me to the end of the week to come to the realization that's where the battle's been. It was him all the time. It was him all the time. I'm telling you, folks, y'all can rebuke the devil, devil all you want, but if you don't gave your life to Jesus, it's God working. I don't care what it is. I don't care what's happening. I don't care what's going on with you. It's God working. It's God moving. It's God trying to rearrange and redirect the, the, the direction and the instruction of your soul. It is God working. And guess what? It is not pleasant. It is not comfortable. It is not easy. You're going to have to get somewhere and cry. You're going to get somewhere and beg God to help you. If you don't help me, I'm not going to make it. I'm not going to do it. Just tell him. Just tell him. Will is in the way. I want this cup to pass from me. Is there another way I can get there? Because God's ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. 
when you pray, God is not going to answer it the way you tell him to. I would love it if God was just come in, I tell him to fix my finances, the next day I wake up, man, I look in the cabinet, there's a pile of money in there. I love that. That would be awesome. I'd love it if I prayed and asked God to give me patience and I woke up and did nothing bother me no more. I'd love it. But it is not how it works. It's not how it's going to work. When you ask God for financial blessing, guess what he's going to do? He's going to give you some sense to handle it first. Because he ain't going to give, he's not going to pour something in your hand for you to just throw it in the garbage can. That's the truth. He got to get the will in line. He got to get the imagination straight. He got to get the memory right. He got to get all this stuff situated and in, arranged and yielded to him where he's the CEO in the room and everything comes under his direction and his control. And then guess what? The life takes on a different motion. Your personality start to look like Jesus. You start to act like Jesus, talk like Jesus, sound like Jesus when you speak because your life is now under the direction of the Holy Spirit and not your will. See, Jesus taught us something. He was telling us something in the garden. He said, now in, in me, I'm the son of God. And he said, in me, I don't want to go that way. But he said, Nevertheless, and I was listening to what Marcus was saying. He, he suffered way more than we have ever suffered. That's true. I love that song. Man, the God that weeps, the God that bleeds. Jesus is the only one that can say, been there, done that. And succeed. Been there, done that. What is the condition of your soul? What is the condition of your soul? When I saw this, I'm going to tell you what the condition of mine. Mine is a slap mess. You can, you can sit and look like yours is okay. It's okay with me. But I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to be honest and I'm going to be real. I need, I don't know about y'all. I need God to help me with this. I need him to help me. I need him to help me. Like I said, I had, a, I had the battle of my life this week. And I'm going to tell you something. Man, we fighting God every day, all day. Don't know we're fighting him. And man, when, the get, when you get to the end of the week, that's why we're so glad to get to the end of the week, man. Oh, we coming like we done ran a marathon. Oh, had a finish line. Oh, good God, I'm so glad to get out of that. But then, hey, two days later, you're right back at it again. And if you don't learn nothing, that's what it's going to be. And that's a shallow life. I read in Ezekiel this, I, I think it's Ezekiel this morning. I think it was Ezekiel chapter 47. It was talking about the man came out and he measured. And he said when he first got there, the water was at his ankles. And then he said he measured again and the water came up to his knees. And said he measured again and the water came up to his loins. And said when he measured again, the water was too much for him to cross. He was swimming in it. And when I saw that scripture, I thought about my soul. I was like, God, it's too much for me to cross. I'm swimming in it. I can't pass over unless you help me. I can't get tired. I can't get through it. I'm going to tell you something. I don't want to die the way I am. I don't want to die this way. I want to see God, like Job said, I want to see God work for me in the land of the living. Amen. I want to see him now. Yes, that's right. But you know what? See? You got to go through hell to get there. I'm telling you, the devil is not going to lay down and let you have it. Your will is not going to willingly surrender. Your imagination is not going to immediately change. Your memory is not going to just come up with brand new ideas. Your heart is still going to feel a certain way and it's going to try to direct the will and it's going to try to make conscious bend and bow. 
But when you get to those places and those points in life, you gotta say, Holy Spirit, I'm making you ruler of this soul, of this life. Help me to yield to what you would have me to do in this moment. Lord, we so bless you, we praise you, we thank you. Thank you for making us so unique. Thank you for not leaving us to fight this thing alone, to deal with it by ourselves. Thank you for sending the person of the Holy Spirit to come in and take the seat, seventh seat, so that he can direct all the other six members so that we can actually take our lives in another direction so that our character and our personality begins to take on yours. Help us to realize that the only way we're ever gonna know ourselves is that we have to know you. And that we can't know you if we are away from truth. Because you are truth. And that's the greatest wisdom in the world that we could ever acquire. So Lord, in all of your people, I'm asking you to work in us, work through us, have mercy on us, liberate, deliver, set us free today. Help us to see when you're working, where you're working, and to, and to work along with you and not against you, to yield to you, not resist you, so that we can come next week with testimony. And, and rejoice and be willing to see and say and tell what God has done in us and through us and for us. And Father, we so bless you, we praise you, we thank you, we worship you, we honor you for it. In Jesus' name we pray, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed what you heard, make sure you subscribe and share with someone you know. And tune in next week for more sermons from Truth and Love Ministries.